original cast album of a Peter Pan on compact uh, disc. Oh, really? You know, for those of you who's old. Oh, in fact, I'll, I'll get it. Yeah, it's good. In fact, they've got a whole bunch of original cast albums that are, well, some of them were so old they came out on 78s. They're now coming out on compact disc. I wish you wouldn't say it like that because all my records were on 78. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, really? What a way to start the morning. They're so old that now. It's, uh, 12 minutes after 11 o'clock on WGN in Chicago. All right, before we talk to Debbie Reynolds about the book, let's talk to Kathy Worthington about November the 4th and all of the exciting things that happened on this date in history. Oh, famous marriage today. Oh, then you must mean Abraham Lincoln. Of course. Right? Mary and Abe. Didn't, in 1842. This, wasn't this the day they tied the knot? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's all? That's all I've got. Oh, you didn't know how depressed he was? No. <laughs> no, really? About the marriage? Yeah. Abraham Lincoln was so depressed and worried about getting married, his friends actually kept sharp objects away from him <laughs> for the two weeks then preceding. why did he do it? I don't know. Well, anyway, okay. Sorry, I don't have the answer to that. Well, in 1879, humorist Will Rogers was born in Oogala, Oklahoma. Really? Mm-hmm. The, uh, oh, the, this was the day that they found the entrance to King Tut's tomb back in 1922. Okay, uh, let's see. Was there anything else? Oh, birth, um, birthdays. Yeah, birthdays. Walter Cronkite, 72 years old today. Art Carney is 70. Actor Cameron Mitchell. The name is really... Well, uh... You, Familiar. TV people would remember him from uh, High Chaparral, I guess. Oh. Debbie, did you ever work with Cameron Well, Mitchell? Cameron's a wonderful, dramatic actor, you know. His face is recognizable to everybody. Yeah. Is she saying she doesn't know yeah, who right. he is? See, she's too young. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those old sweet. records. I remember you and Tammy and The Bachelor. I loved uh, that movie. Uh, she doesn't you, have earphones no, on. No, Debbie, so you don't have earphones know. on. But well, if you Cameron Mitchell... Uh, hold those up to your ears was, and you can He was in every Western. He did a lot of Westerns. And he played a lot of villains. Yeah. And now he has two children that are coming right Right up, there, Camille Cameron. She's going to be a star. I didn't know that. Isn't that exciting? Oh. A dramatic Shakespearean actress. Uh, uh, you Who never else? Know, you Who never, else's birthday? You never know what you're going to... I love to know how old everyone's getting. Okay. Oh, this will really make you old. Annie, Andrea McArdle, you know, who was the original Annie on Broadway? Right. His 24... Oh, I thought you were going to say 13 or 14. <laughs> She's catching up with us. 24. Hey, Ralph Macchio, uh, you know, the Karate Kid, he's mm-hmm. 27 today. And Martin Balsam is 69. Oh, good actor, too, yeah. Another one I don't recall, Doris Roberts is 58 today. Who is Ooh, Doris Roberts? I don't know Who Doris is Doris Roberts? Roberts? She's an, oh, wait a minute. Yep, 58 is, is not old. Here it is. <laughs> she, on Remington Steel, she played Mildred Krebs. But see, I never watched Remington Steel. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I missed that one. Can't catch every TV show. You yeah, know, it's true. too too. What, many. what what was the show that you liked? That she's Debbie got did? to put her earphones on, or she's oh, not going to hear you. it. Oh, okay. you can. Oh, absolutely. Okay, Tammy and the Bachelor. I loved that this movie. This you know. I saw oh, you're several so times. And remember you singing the song. Well, I hear the whipper. Oh. Listen, whispering I w- above, Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. You've got all these Tammies in here. I was uh, just getting into the business in the early 50s when they brought a record into the station one day. It was, in, it was a little 45 on MGM, or maybe it was even a 78. Sorry, Debbie. I think it was. But 78. no, it was Debbie Reynolds and Carlton Carpenter. It was a little bitty kind. Doing Abba Dabba Honeymoon. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was the first time I remember hearing about you. Oh, absolutely. That was my first movie. 
Abadabba was Two Weeks with Love, which was before Singing in the Rain. Yeah, yeah. What and the fun. unsinkable Molly Brown. You were really good in that. Boy. Boy, my God, you're here. By the way, do you know there's a great story in the book, though, about the unsinkable Molly Brown. In fact, there's a lot of great stories. Uh, some of the parts that we remember you most for were the hardest things in the world for you to get. You know, I mean... Oh, yeah. Well, they didn't really want me in Molly Brown. They can had you imagine to... that? They did not want her in the unsinkable <laughs> Molly Brown. I thought it was made for you. Oh, absolutely. When I saw the play in New York, I said, oh, I have to do this. But they cast Shirley MacLaine in the role and Robert Goulet in the other part. But then Shirley was in a lawsuit with this producer named Hal Wallace. And if they had taken Shirley, they might have never been able to release the movie. So I had asked if I could even test or read or anything, and they said, no, you you're too short for the part. So I quoted Helen Hayes and I said, how short is the part? <laughs> and when Shirley couldn't do it, you know, when there was a problem, then they, they took second best, which was me. But of course, I thought I was first best. You know, I loved doing that role. You could tell. We're coming back next year. I've never done it on the stage. Harv Presnell, who was my leading man yeah. in, in the movie, we're coming to Chicago next year and do the unsinkable Molly Brown on stage. All right. Wow. Fun, fun, fun. As a matter of fact, uh, if you want to put a little note down in your notebook, friends, for those of you out at the Paramount Art Center, uh, actually, I've got a real date here. Do you know that on Friday, December the 9th at 8 o'clock, that's where you're going to be? No. Yeah, watch where am I going to be? Oh, you're right. <laughs> yes, ser seriously. Oh, my goodness, you're right. Friday, December 9th, 8 o'clock, the Paramount Theater hosts Debbie Reynolds in an evening of music and comedy yeah. with Harp Presnell. That's right. And, uh, and oh, that, what fun. Is this the unsinkable, though, when you reprise? Is that, are you going to do well, the whole we're show? Gonna do, no, we're not going to do the play. We're oh. going to do songs from Annie Get Your Gun and from Annie and oh. from Molly Brown. And, and I do a whole act. You know, I do all imitations. I do the Zsa Gabor and Barbara Streisand and Dr. Ruth. I didn't know you did imitations. Oh, uh, yeah. I've always done impressions. You know, I just don't make that my career, but I do, you know, Mike West and Matthew Davis, anyone you'd like. <laughs> Who would you like me to be today? You, you, uh, Catherine Hepburn, we could always do. <laughs> Catherine, it's early, but you know we could try. <laughs> you know, you said in the book that somebody that really inspired you, I always thought, was one of the most entertaining people in the world, and that was Betty Hutton. Oh, yes. Well, I started out, I wanted to be a gym teacher, and I entered this contest. I used to do record impressions. You know, you put the record on, then you mouth, yeah. and it was Betty Hutton. I never sang. I just did the record. And then, But that's how I got into movies, was winning this contest where I did that. Yeah, right. So Betty Hutton was like my dream, you know, and then I, I was always sad that her career didn't go on and on and on because her talent was so great. Yes, she was good. Yeah. Oh, you're speaking of sad. Uh, I just finished the book last night. And uh, I got to the part where you talked about one of my favorite uh, all-time actresses, a great Agnes Moorhead. Oh, I loved Agnes. And but Debbie, I didn't realize the, the last few months or years of her life were not that happy for her. Well, she had uh, cancer, you know, and she died very hard, you know. And and she did she did the play Gigi right up to the end. In fact, we took her from the stage right to the. The train she chose to keep working and pretending to herself really that she wasn't that ill. And we were not aware that it was that critical. And, and of course, I was left to take care of her estate. And it was horrendous because oh, yeah. her lawyer stole everything from her mother, who was 97 at that time and lived to 104. 
and absolutely this lawyer just got everything. Shows you why we women should be more knowledgeable. You mentioned a figure, by the way. Will you set the record straight? You mm-hmm. mentioned a figure in the book uh, that either was taken from you or you lost of 21 million dollars. Well, my husband lost 21 million of his money, 7 million of my money, and then everything I earned for 13 years on top of that. So, <laughs> you want to a... talk to Doris Day? Have you <laughs> talked oh, to yes. her about oh, that? Oh, yes. I'm very good friends with Doris Day, and her husband did the same thing yes. to her. Only mine was actually still living. Her husband, Marty Melcher, he went and they were married. Oh my gosh, you know, 25, 27, 8 years, whatever. And he was always terrific and very nice to everybody. He adopted her son, you know, yes. Terry. And he just goes out one day on this, he sat on the sand at, on, at the beach and died, had a heart attack, and no one has ever found her money. $30 million, Doris Day, her husband just took and disappeared and was always sort of planning, evidently, to leave her. But he died, but the money. Died oh, with him, woman. you know. She's never found the money. Oh. The lawyer got the money again, you see. We must study law, girls. <laughs> girls, let's all become lawyers. Are you, you're oh, out marry of, some man that's a jerk like we are. <laughs> are you, you're out of debt now. I mean, have you paid Oh, yes, off? thank God. Well, it took me 10 years to pay all these debts off because when my husband lost everything, he still owed millions. So I had to pay off his debts because in California, it's community property, you know. It works both ways. Oh, it, well, I suppose I've never really experienced that the other way. <laughs> Debbie Reynolds is here. The book is called My Life, All and right. it's published by Morrow, and we're going to talk more about it. Would you like to join in? The number is 591-7200. And Debbie, very frankly, talks about her relationship with her, her children. You know what I thought was very touching? and uh, In fact, maybe you can just share a little bit. We don't want to give away oh, the yeah. whole book. But well, no, anything what, you want to talk about. I, I think it's important for women to know the book is a lot about what we go it through. It sure is. Well, you know, when you were having your problems with Harry Carl, he's the guy that ran off with the 7 million friends, <laughs> uh, plus 21 of his own. Yeah. But when you were having problems with Harry and your daughter Carrie was at home, uh, she naturally was aware of what was going on. And those little things that she would write to you, that's very mm-hmm. touching. Well, Carrie is very gifted as a writer. In fact, she just uh, was given the Penn Award for her book, a novel called Postcards from the Edge. So I was very proud of her. But even young, you know, this was when Carrie was 13, she wrote me a little, um, all a note, you know, it was a long note about how she really felt that I was very unhappy and that I shouldn't stay in a marriage where I was staying for the children that they knew, she especially knew. Todd was younger. And when I left, then Carrie was uh, 15, Todd was 14. I really had to leave because I had my stepdaughter, my stepson, and my two children. And Harry, my husband, had just really given up. He would just stay in bed, and he wouldn't admit that, that we had no money. And shortly thereafter, they took the houses, they took the cars, everything. The banks took everything. There was nothing left. And he just wouldn't face reality. I said to him, I said, you know, Harry, you're like an ostrich. You stick your head in the sand, but what's up? I mean, you have to face life. You can't just ignore it. It's not going away. You know what's interesting is you, you think of Debbie Reynolds and you think of the, the star, the Las Vegas star, the movie star, the uh, the stage star. You think she has everything in the world. You paint a picture on one page of the book that is almost unbelievable. They're in a car uh, and they go by the Hillcrest Country Club where, you mm-hmm. know, that was the place where everybody went. And they get a flat tire or the car breaks down or something, uh, and they won't even let her in the front door to make a phone call to mm. get help. 
Now, my husband, I let him keep at the divorce. I could have taken that membership away because he had nothing. And I wanted him to have his old age where he would at least have a place to go, which is this fabulous country club. And I had been going there for 15 years. And the car broke down because I had this old beat-up car. This is after I left Harry, you know. And we weren't divorced, of course. But anyway... Um, the car just puttered out, and I had Carrie and Todd, and I don't know where we were going, but it was somewhere over by Fox Studio near this country club. And I said, well, we'll walk over there. And this doorman name was George that I know 15 years, and I, we walked over, left the car because it wouldn't even run, and I walked up to George, and I said, oh, hi, George, how are you, dear? I'd just like to use the phone if you don't mind. He said, oh, but I do mind. You're not allowed in here. You would be disturbing to Mr. Carl. Now, some people would say you were being kind. Other people would say you were being stupid. Stupid. <laughs> I think I was being stupid. Looking back, I really wanted to do what God, I feel, says, do unto others. And I've tried to do that, but I think I turned my cheeks so far that... <laughs> I, uh, I'd say a few people took advantage, <clears throat> Debbie. <laughs> the book is published by Morrow, Debbie, My Life, Debbie Reynolds. Uh, and, what, by the way, we mentioned Dr. Carey a little while ago and the little notes that she used to write to her mom, especially when she was aware that uh, Debbie and Harry Carl weren't getting along too well. You're very honest about your relationship uh, with Carrie, but it certainly mm. had its ups and downs. Are do you talk now? Are you? Oh yeah. Well, I think every mother has a problem. Well, not every time, hopefully, but sometimes mothers have problems with their daughters because it's like an identity crisis. It's even more so if the mother is like myself, a celebrity. My daughter had to, when she was in grammar school, would go to school and the teacher would call her Debbie. And I went to school, I said, look, you don't call the other children by their parents' first name. Well, she said, I know, but, you know, Debbie, I just, I've known you so long, and I keep looking at the child, and she looks like you, so I call her Debbie. I said, please, do you understand that you're stripping her of her own self-identity? It is wrong what you're doing. So I took her out of that class. But as Carrie grew up, really we had a problem, especially with the end of my second marriage, because... Carrie really felt that I was weak in that marriage and that I should have left sooner and that I should have survived better. <laughs> you know, she really wanted me to be a bit tougher. I thought I was tough just to get through it. But from about age 16, I think that Carrie and I had a lot of problems because I was still very... Uh, strong with her. I made her finish going to school. She had to go to London. She had a wonderful chance at this marvelous school called Central, which is like RADA. It's a dramatic academy there. It's brilliant. So she went for two years. She was didn't want to go, even though she won the audition. Hmm. She did want to go, then she won the yeah. audition, then she wanted to come home and lounge around Beverly Hills. I said, you can't do that. You just can't be like a lot of those kids that are too rich, too spoiled, and what are you going to do with your life? So now in looking back, she says, you were right, Mother. But we have gone through a great deal together. And now, Carrie, of course, is, is a full star, a wonderful writer. And we're, like the last three years, uh, since Star Wars, because he, she was now Debbie Reynolds' daughter, but now I'm Princess Leia's mother. <laughs> Put those earphones on. Somebody okay, wants to ready. talk to you. Hi, Jack. Good, good morning. Good morning. To me, it sounds like the movie The Unsinkable Molly Brown, even though it wasn't meant to be, was written about your life. I think you're right. <laughs> I have a very, very treasured memory of, I'll, I'll tell you how many years ago, 32 years ago. Whoa. I went backstage at the Oriental Theater, and you and Carlton Carpenter were there, and this was mm. during the Abba Dabba times. By the way, there's a picture in the book of that that is great. Is there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, I was a senior, I think I was a junior or senior in high school, right. and I went backstage, and you took time. You spent time with me. We stood there. We talked. 
You gave me your autograph in an autograph book, which I still have and treasure. Oh, my goodness. Well, I was 17. Well, that's about the same age I was, so we're both, what, uh, 26, 27? You've got it. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Well, Thank thanks you. for calling. Oh, okay. We know that uh, Carrie Fisher is doing well. How's Todd? How's your son? Oh, he's, he's wonderful. He's like this little angel that appeared in our lives, and he just loves Carrie and his mommy, and he has no... You know, imagine having a sister as strong as Carrie and me... A mother, and he's just... It's kind of tough on the kid. <laughs> yeah, he, oh, he's so special. First of all, he's very religious, and he just that just shines through, that he, he looks after everybody, as a matter of fact. You know, you tell a story in the book, and I never heard it before or read it before, and I wondered if somehow, if you don't mind me saying this, that you guys mm. hushed it up. <laughs> and that's the time the kid shot himself uh, well, yeah. when you were living in New York. I was doing Irene, the play in New York, and I'd left my husband, and things were really awful. And one night I came home from the theater, and it was about twelve thirty-one in the morning. We were watching A Place in the Sun. I'll never forget it because Shelley Winters was being drowned by Montgomery Cliff. Oh, yeah. And as she's going under, screaming at him, uh, my son is playing with this prop gun. I thought it was a prop gun. And he pointed at me, and he pointed at my little dog killer. And I said, don't do that, Todd. You, you, he says, well, it's not a real gun mother and the next minute I, I hear a bang a thump and he, he he just turned white and this blood shot all over the room he shot his leg you know the whole kneecap was exposed this is one in the morning I have on my makeup I took off my I wore wigs and Irene that were painted red so my hair was painted red on the sides all this garbage makeup on a robe no clothes slippers Blood is going everywhere. He's turning green. I don't know what to do. I'm sobbing. I'm looking at this. My Finally, my Girl Scout training came to my brain. I said, a tourniquet, a tourniquet. I ran in the hall, and I tore up a sheet, you know, and I go, and I tie his leg up. Now I get on the phone. I'm sobbing and an answering service I had at the time. I didn't know anyone in New York. No doctor. Where do you go? A hospital where? And it's 1 in the morning. So I'm sobbing in the phone, and, and I said, my son shot himself, and I don't know where to go. This woman said, please stop crying, Debbie. You mean Todd shot himself? She said, oh, I've always loved Todd and you, dear. Oh, and so she tells me where to, she calls a cab. This cab arrives. I'm on the second floor. So I have Todd in a fireman's hole over my back, and I'm going, now, mind you, I have on a robe, red hair painted, and this crummy makeup. My eyelashes are off. My hair is sticking everywhere. I finally, I got him down the stairs, and this taxi driver took him. I had to release the tourniquet so blood goes all over the place. Again, then tie it up again. And I ran upstairs and I grabbed my Nancy Reagan dress, I call it. It was a brown dress with the buttons, you know, very serious looking dress. And I still have on my slippers now, you know. My hair is all painted red. We get in the cab. We go to the uh, hospital. Now, in the meantime... The, they reported there was a gunshot. Now, so there's five Columbos there with raincoats and hats, you know, saying, uh, hey, a lady, uh, and now they don't know my name. They don't know Debbie Rails. First of all, my hair is painted. I look like a schlep, a bag lady in the Nancy Reagan dress. I'm in the lobby of now. It's emergency. There's nobody there. There was nobody there. I said, well, you have to wheel him into emergency. Well, I, you have your insurance. I had my, my wallet. I didn't have... Luckily, I cashed a check that day. So I just took out $500 and I put it on the thing. I said, wheel him in, wheel him in. So we get into this <laughs> emergency room and a young intern doctor comes. He starts to clean the wound. You know, he's just, it's just a terrible mess. Columbos are all out there waiting to arrest me because they thought I shot my son. <laughs> in fact, it's the only time Eddie Fisher ever called. <laughs> he said, hey. I read you shot Todd. I said, it's amazing what it took for you to call. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, that was you not... You survived. That was that story. Well, the cab driver that took us over saved the rag...
About four years later, I'm in New York, and a taxi man picks me up, and he looks back in the mirror, and he said, Hey, aren't you Debbie? I said, Yes, I am. He said, I'm the guy that carried Todd into the hospital. Here's the rag. He opens up the little glove compartment. He's got this old, oh, you know, rag. Can, can you imagine? Here's a cab driver who, when he has a stranger out of town, he says, Hey, you know what I got in my glove compartment? <laughs> see this? That's Todd Fisher's blood. Uh, do you ever see Eddie at all? Uh, do you have any contact? No, with him the children do. You know, do they, they call. Oh, sure. They're wonderful children. I didn't raise the children to dislike Eddie. He. He's their father, and you can't raise your children. There shouldn't be any anger or animosity. The fact that I'm not close to Eddie, there's reasons why, and I have no reason to seek him out. But the children do call, and I would always want them to call. But uh, he's certainly not going to be very happy with your rather frank discussion of his <laughs> sexual prowess or lack of. Uh, well, I didn't like his book either, so, you know, okay, well. <laughs> I told the truth, and no, he probably won't like it, but frankly, Scarlett... <laughs> it's uh, 10 minutes before 12.